be turning to Romans chapter 11. We'll title this today, Come and Dine. Because it has been a couple of months since we we're in Romans, I am going to do a little bit longer introduction just to kind of recap to get your minds back to where we are in this letter. And I appreciate Marvin's call to worship this morning because God has sent gifts to the church of Jesus Christ, the gift of preaching to perfect your faith, to prepare you for death, and to give you hope in this present world. And so what's going on right now in this room is God is communicating to you through flawed instruments, but He is He has a message today for you in this room, a message of hope. In fact, it's the only message of hope. So let's just recap a little bit here in Romans. This letter was written around 58 A.D., so almost 2,000 years ago. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome where he had never been yet. This church had both Jews and Gentiles in it. We see that clearly as we read through this, that at times he's addressing Gentiles, at times Jews, and sometimes it's real hard to tell who he's addressing. There are difficult places in this letter, and chapter 11 is one of the most difficult chapters for me in the past. This has been a very challenging letter, uh, and particularly chapter 11 has been. The theme of Romans is the just shall live by faith, which means that if you're justified, if you're in the eternal decree of justification, you will have life in time and you will have faith in time. The just shall live by faith. That's what that means. We also see clearly in this letter what God is doing in history. And He's really talking about that in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But He starts out in chapter 1 and says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now. God is always judging the world in righteousness. And so as believers... We know what, what's going on in the world today. We don't lose hope because we're in, going into the third year of disease and pandemic. In fact, disease and pandemic is always going on in the world. You've just been bombarded with propaganda after propaganda after propaganda related to the fear-mongering that's taking place by leaders to manipulate you. So this is always going on. God is... Wrath is revealed from heaven and all in righteousness. God's wrath is revealed whenever He turns human beings over to every form of sexual wickedness. LGBTQ, etc. is God's wrath revealed in the world in turning people over to everything that goes against His design for your happiness. None of that will ever make anybody happy. In Romans 1, he also says that everybody knows I exist. Romans 1.20. He said, it's clearly revealed to everyone that they know that I exist. It says, God is manifest to them. He's revealed to them. So that they're without excuse. There's no excuse for anybody anywhere to not believe that God exists because they already know He does. That's what the Word says. That's why you've got an advantage if you ever have opportunity to talk to somebody about truth and about this book, 
because God's Word says they already believe in me. They may be trying to suppress that knowledge, and they are. They may be trying to deny that, but they know I exist. And that's why if you'll bring text to bear upon their mind, it will go deep. It tells us plainly that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in this letter. And 3 and 10. It tells us that the righteousness we need in this world in order to live forever enjoying happiness and peace is only in Jesus Christ. In chapters 3 through 5 it tells us how do we receive this righteousness of Christ? It's by faith we receive it. We receive faith as a gift when we're born again. And it's through that gift of faith, that grace of faith, that we receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, he's been talking to us about those that are in Christ, those that are walking by faith, are changed and transformed. And they now, no longer under the penalty of sin, are no longer under the power of sin, even though they still have the presence of sin in them. So we talked about the three P's, penalty, power, presence, back during those chapters. And Paul has wrapped up chapter 8, and uh, he's finished that chapter saying, all those that are in Christ are secure in Christ forever. And then he starts to answer the question in 9, 10, 11, why do some believe and some don't believe? That's the big question hanging over those chapters. Why do some believe and some don't believe? And the answer is faith. You must be born again. A key verse for understanding Romans is in Romans 2, 28 and 29. He says, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Now this is a key thing you have to know about reading Romans and also reading Romans 9, 10, 11 to keep things straight. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and of the spirit and not of the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. He's saying there, the true Israel are those that are born again by the Spirit of God. He will say that again in Romans 9 and 6 when he says, They are not all Israel which are of Israel. So as he starts trying to answer the objection, well then, if everyone who's in Christ is secure, why did the majority of Israel reject Jesus Christ to this day even? It's because they're not all Israel who are Israel. And he goes through 19 lessons. It's always been God's plan that some would believe and some would not believe based upon His sovereignty and His choice and election. In Romans 9, he said that God must have mercy. There in 9.15, For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runnings, but of God that shows mercy. God must first have mercy before a person can believe. And then he goes on and says, 
that it's Israel's fault for not believing. And these are the two doctrines. They're hard to understand, but these are facts that are clearly taught in these three chapters that God is sovereign in salvation. God must be the first cause. He must move first. But if you don't repent and believe on this Christ, it's your fault. And those are not in contradiction with one another. And all objections arise, many objections, not all, many objections arise around these doctrines. Doctrines of God's sovereignty and salvation and God's election. We also see something very beautiful in this is that Paul's heart, Paul doesn't know who the ones are that God is going to have mercy on. And he starts out in chapter 9 and he says, My heart's desire is that, all, is that Israel would be saved. He even goes so far and says he has continual sorrow in his heart over people who were not seeing Christ as Messiah. And chapter 10 opens up and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so through this whole thing, we see this pastor's heart is that Paul had become a believer and he was filled with joy in being able to see the truth and the reality of what God is doing in the world. He grieved over those who had not yet come to that point. He doesn't know who those are that God is going to have mercy on. So he keeps praying. He keeps persuading them because only God knows who those are. Some have not yet believed but will. And some never will. And those truths are laid out in this chapter. So as we transition here to chapter 11, in chapter 10, we had the great truth also that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, that God sends preachers, and that even in uh, chapter in verse 18 of chapter 10, it says, But I say, has their sound went into all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. So in Paul's day, if I understand verse 18 right, the gospel had been preached throughout all nations. And we have a responsibility in our generation to continue to do that. I was listening to someone speak here recently that said, every generation has a responsibility to raise your children up in this truth because we're just one generation away from apostasy. So I want your faith to be perfected. And God is doing that through this Word. And so now we're going to dig into chapter 11. We're probably going to have three or four messages in chapter 11 as I look through it. Again, this is a challenging chapter, but if you'll remember... That difference between spiritual Israel and national Israel, that'll help you as you go through chapter 11. But the principles that are in chapter 11, Paul will quote repeatedly from the Old Testament. These are not new things. These are things that have been laid out in the Scripture all the way back to the beginning. So I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 21 of chapter 10. And read through the first ten verses, and that's what we'll 
cover today, Lord willing. But to Israel, he says, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture says of Elijah, how he made intercession to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed the prophets. They've digged down your altars and I'm left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David said, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see and bow down their back always. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this day. And Lord, I just pray that you might bless us now with preaching grace. Lord, edit my tongue. I pray that you would bless with hearing grace. And Lord, that you would do what you are always doing in the souls of your people. In Christ's name, amen. So what would I have you to get from this today that your soul might be strengthened and perfected? Well, I would have you understand that you are reserved by God in mercy and grace, being given the ability to see, hear, and understand truth so that your faith can feast on the table of Christ in the wilderness. How do we see that today in these first verses? Well, first we're going to see that there's some that are cast away and there's some that aren't. And I've got five points today. The first point that we'll cover is you will never be cast away. Verse 1, I say then, has God cast away His people? God forbid. Ten times Paul says that in Romans. Twice in chapter 11. God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. We round up that last chapter. God standing there saying, My hands are stretched wide, open, all day long to this disobedient nation of Israel. And then Paul would begin here and say, Has God cast away His people? It's an ongoing objection that He's been dealing with over and over in chapters 9 10, and 11. But God has not 
cast away as people. You will never be cast away, believer. You will never be passed away. And even amongst the Jews, there was a remnant. Paul says that here. I'm an Israelite. I'm of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And I believe. This objection arises from some of the Old Testament texts that the Jews knew very well. This objection that God had cast away His people because so many did not receive Christ. If you look at 1 Samuel 12 and 22, it says, For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. And then again, if you look in Psalms 94, 14, it says, For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. And here we're told the truth that God has not cast away His people, but not all Israel are of this spiritual Israel. Much of Israel did not believe in the Messiah, and it was their fault. God has not cast away His people, which He foreknew. So when you read through this and it says God has not cast away His people, immediately we might think God has not cast away Israel, but yet they didn't believe. Who's He talking about here? It's clarified with that phrase, which He foreknew. Who are the people that God has not cast away? Those He foreknew. The elect, the beloved, the chosen of God. He has not cast them away. He has not rejected them. He has not refused them. It's impossible for Him to do that. These are those that we read about in Romans 8.29 that we went through. For whom He did foreknow. That's the same word. For no, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And again, same word in Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. All of those ordained to eternal life believed. Do you believe? Are you a believer today? Then you are ordained to eternal life. And it's impossible for God to cast you away. So why do some believe and some don't? Ordination. They have been assigned a place. You have been assigned a permanent, fixed place in God's house that can never be taken away. So no matter what's going on in the news in the world today... You are fixed in Christ. We're just saying it is a finished work. And He will complete that which He has begun in you. Right? You will never be cast away. It's unthinkable that God could cast away His beloved. Even when it appears that civilization is melting down. Right? You know, I see the commentators out there saying, people, we're watching civilization melt down today. Well, it's always been melting down. It's been melting down for several thousand years and there's going to come a day. But the church is headed in the opposite direction. Against the tide. We are growing in grace and holiness and wisdom and we are being perfected for that new heaven and that new earth. So even when it looks like everything is failing and the, the rule of law, it looks like is failing and we've got lawless leaders and all of that's going on. The wicked and 
leadership. We always have to remember. He never said it was going to be easy, did He? Cast down but not destroyed. Your final citizenship is in heaven. You've got a temporary citizenship in America. Your final citizenship, your permanent citizenship is in heaven. And your faith must be purified. Read, read Hebrews 11. We got it easy compared to that, what we read in there. Hebrews 11 shows what true faith is and that God loves your faith and loves you so much that He's going to purify your faith. And the only way that takes place is through difficulties. Some of those we read about in Hebrews 11 were sawn in half. And all of them had the faith to see that there was coming a city beyond this world, the New Jerusalem. You see, no faith without difficulties to conquer, and no difficulties but faith can surely conquer. No faith without difficulties to conquer. So if you got faith, you're going to be sent difficulties. And your faith will always, always, always conquer those difficulties. Let me tell you, faith wins. Anxiety doesn't. Fear doesn't win. Faith wins. Because Christ is risen from the dead. And to say that faith wins is the same thing as saying that Christ won. He won the day. He won the field. But there's going to be times... When you, in the middle of all of this chaos that's going on, that you are going to misunderstand and you're going to stumble a little bit and you're going to think, I'm the last one. I'm the only believer left. And that's the second point. There's going to be times, God will never cast you away, believer, but there's going to be times that you think you are. And that's part of your trial of faith. So you will sometimes think you're cast away. We'll pick up here in the text in Hebrews 11, in the second part of uh, verse 2. He says, What ye not, what the Scripture said of Elijah, how he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they killed the prophets and dig down your altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul again quotes directly from Scripture. Remember what the Scripture says. This is the Word of God, the eternal infallible written Word of God. What do we learn from this Scripture that he's quoting here in 1 Kings 19? We learn that God always has a remnant of believers. Even when what we might think was the strongest Christian of the day thought everybody had stopped believing except him. Let's take a look at this just a minute. This is 906 B.C., about 3,000 years ago. The president and Miss President are Ahab and Jezebel. 
God has sent three and a half years of famine. No rain. It's a judgment upon Israel because they had abandoned the worship of God and were worshiping, they'd all become pagans. They were worshiping Baal, pagan religion of Baal. As we open up in that section right there when Elijah comes on the scene in chapter 17 and 18 and 19, we see that King Ahab is more concerned about his horse and his donkey than he is people. And he's got Obadiah, his servant, helping him go to try and find water for his horse and his donkeys. For his horses and his donkeys. Now Obadiah is a holy man of God because Obadiah is more concerned for the prophets of Israel than he is for horses and donkeys because he's hidden the prophets of God in a cave and is feeding them. So after this three and a half years of famine and when things are in great strait, God always sends judgment upon His people to bring them back to repentance and faith because we are just weak and we need the trials of faith. And so, y'all remember the story? Elijah gets the 400 pagan prophets and he says, gather them together. And they gather them together there and they, they build this altar there. And Elijah says, okay, we're going to have the Super Bowl of the prophets. We're going to put an, a sacrifice here on the altar and... All the pagan prophets are going to cry out to God to come down and to consume that sacrifice by fire. And whichever God answers by fire, that's the true God. So the pagan prophets, they put together their sacrifice and they hoop and holler and nothing happens all day. And then Elijah, he puts the sacrifice there and he prepares it, he orders it. He pours 12 barrels of water on top of it and digs a ditch around it so it's just saturated with water. And then he gets down and he prays, God of Israel, let them know who the true God is. And boom, fire falls from heaven and completely consumes the sacrifice, the water, and even the stones, nothing left. And what is the response of Israel? They fall on their face and they say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now you would think after that, there could never be any more failure. The next day's headlines, the president and his wife issue the death penalty for Elijah. And in what seemed to be his greatest moment, now he starts running from a woman. He's running from Hillary. I'm sorry, Jezebel. And this is where this quote comes from. And he came here under a cave and lodged there. So he's run uh, from this death penalty that's been issued upon him. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says unto him in 1 Kings 19.9, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Yet have I left, and then God, a couple verses later says, 
I have left 7,000 Israel who have not bowed the knees to Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. So imagine what would happen if you got a notice headlines tomorrow said death penalty issued for you by Joe and Kamala. Joe and Kamala issued death penalty for all Christians. It looks like all of government's against you. The FBI has been used by this president to attack his enemies. A Democratic House member in Texas had his office raided by the FBI because he wasn't agreeing with the administration. Project Veritas raided by the FBI because they're political enemies. We're seeing things taking place right now where all of government is aligned against the enemies of the administration. Well, it wasn't any different in this day. Elijah, he had the whole administration was against him. We live in a day when even Supreme Court justices have placed them foolishly above God in attempting to redefine his institution of marriage. We see the pagan religion of Marxism sweeping the land, don't we? We see racism being institutionalized in this country through critical race theory. It's doing the opposite of what they think it's doing. We've got most, most forms of higher education totally reject the idea that God is creator. And they think they're being wiser. They just look like fools. So you may think everything is against you and you're the only one left. We're prone to get that way, just like Elijah. I call this Elijah syndrome. We're prone in that direction. I'm the only one left. Better flee to the mountains. Start hoarding ammo and food. But nothing has changed. Whoever's Joe and Kamala got 400 pagan priests on CNN. And they've got the most base and the most wicked that will do their bidding. Nothing has changed, believer. This is business as usual in a fallen world. Those whom God knows and loves and enters into everlasting covenant with will never be cast down. Never be cast off. God will send you angels of mercy to provide you breads and cake on the fire to feed your soul. And you will be able to go on the strength of that for 40 days, just like Elijah. So there is always a remnant according to the election of grace. And here he speaks of election again, just like he did back in chapter 9. Even so, at this present time, even so, just like in the days of Elijah, there was an elect people that believed. At this present time, Paul writing in 58 A.D., and that's present tense verb because this is the authority of the Word. That means at this present time today, in 2022 A.D., there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Many of you are in that number. 
And that's why you're here today. Because you hear this truth and you know the word of truth. There is a remnant. We use remnant mainly when you're talking about uh, material at the clothing store, Hobby Lobby. Remnant's the leftover. And that's exactly what the word means. You take a look at the original meaning of remnant. (laughs) It means um, destitute, inferior, left behind, wanting. Deuteronomy 7, God said, You know, you're a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. You were the fewest of all people. But because He loved you. That's the cause. Not because you're more handsome. Not because you're smarter. Not because of any reason whatsoever that lies in you at all, but because He loved you. You are the remnant, the destitute the inferior, the left behind, the, the ones who the world looks at and scoffs at and looks down upon and bullies. Listen to Vody preach on Psalms 2. Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine the vain thing? Why do they go after you, believer? Because they can't get to God and they, they can't win that fight. We're prone to question God's work in this world from time to time. We just are. What's God doing? But God will not cast you away. And there's times that you might think that He is, but faith is indestructible. And it just gets stronger and stronger. And the story of Elijah ends with him anointing the next king of Israel and being swept straight up to heaven in a chariot of fire. The next point is you are reserved as a holy remnant. This word remnant that we just looked at. You are reserved as a holy remnant. And then he'll cap it with this verse 6. And you know, you read this verse here, you think, why does Paul belabor this so much? Because this is the one thing that we just have a hard time getting right. You're reserved as a holy remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. He's again just showing the faith and works are opposites. I see confusion even amongst primitive Baptists that confuse faith and think if you say people have to have faith to believe that you're saying they have to do some kind of works. And so they dismiss the essential nature of faith. All of those who are in the election of grace will believe because that's the evidence that they are the elect. You're reserved as a holy remnant. God's salvation of Elijah and the 7,000 was not based upon their righteousness but upon the righteousness of King Jesus. And so when we see the things going on in the world, don't be discouraged. Don't base your state of grace on circumstances. 
It's always based upon the work of Christ. <clears throat> so you are reserved as a holy people through the law of faith given by grace, which results in your seeing and hearing truth. Here's the next thing I want to encourage you today. You see and hear when others don't. In verse 7, What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. That sounds so sad, doesn't it? Paul's heart was broken over this fact that they were seeking after something that they had not obtained. There are religious people in this world seeking salvation who will never obtain it. We must never make excuses for people who claim righteousness and don't have faith yet. But we must encourage them to repent and believe. So he starts out this verse 7 as we keep walking through step by step here in chapter 11. What then? Another question. And this is his conclusion of this first part. The majority of Israel in Paul's day and in our day have not obtained salvation in the Jewish Messiah. Why? because they were not elect, and because they were blinded judicially. It says they have not obtained what they seek after, but the election has obtained it. The word obtained there means to get something by exertion and effort. So even though there are many people in the world who are exerting themselves religiously, they are seeking to obtain some benefits from religion, they have not obtained salvation. You look at the continent of India. Very religious, isn't it? Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of gods in India. And yet that whole system, that Medusa head of evil, has aligned itself to eradicate Christianity off of that, out of that nation by 2024. That's a testimony we heard here from Brother Guna. And you've got all of those people who are very religious, exerting themselves. They are ever learning, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're seeking after it. What? Israel hath not obtained that which they seek for. They're clamoring after it. But the election has obtained it and the rest were blinded. What is this blinding here? Well, verse 8 gives it to us. According as it is written. See, it's in parentheses. God has given them the spirit of slumber. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. They have been blinded, which means to become dull, to lose the power of understanding A spirit of slumber means a spirit of inactivity, 
sluggishness, dullness. This is the spirit within you that drives you daily. You've got a spirit within you that's driving you towards something or away from something every day. The very spirit within them has been turned over to this blindness and sluggishness where they are not seeking after eternal things, but just temporary things. They have eyes that they should not see. The mind's eye. You have spiritual eyes. You have an ability to perceive eternal things about reality. Don't you, believer? You read the Word, and you have the, there's a sense that comes as you're reading the Scripture to know this is not just any book. They've lost the ability to be able to do that. They don't have it. They never had it. Ears that they should not hear, spiritual ears, the ability to hear the gospel, really hear it, receive it, and love it, and obey it. They don't have that. And we see this in Matthew 13, don't we, in the parable of the sower? The disciples come to Jesus, you know, He's speaking in all these parables. Jesus is talking about salt, light, bushels, sowers, tares, Fruit bearing. What are you, what are you, why are you always teaching like this? Lord, why are you always teaching in parables? He answered them and said, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. One commentator I read this week, this blindness here is a judicial blindness whereby God, all God has to do for somebody to be spiritually blind and continue on to damnation and destruction is for Him to withhold regenerating grace. He gives it to some, He withholds it from others. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But unto them it is not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken even that which he has. And Luke, it says, or Mark, it says what he seems to have. You see, there's many who seem to have salvation. They seem to be in the root of the matter. You see, there's the ability even in the blind whereby they do see some beauty in the gospel. They see some beauty in righteousness and character and faith. But there's a difference between being able to perceive that a little bit and having it. To be a professor and to be a possessor of true faith. Therefore, Jesus said, I speak to them in parables, because that seeing, because they seeing see not. They heard the stories that Jesus was telling, but they didn't understand He was talking about eternal principles that were about them. You. Hearing they hear not, neither do they understand, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, seeing you shall see. This is a righteous judgment, judicial blinding of God 
Because they rejected Him. They rejected His truth. They refused to obey. So why do some believe and some believe not? As Paul is talking about in 9, 10, and 11. Why does so much of Israel not believe? Why does much of the world today not believe? Because unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I looked it up this week. In the nation of Israel today, do you know how many Christians there are? Demographically speaking, just from a survey. Out of 9 million, almost 9 million, who live in the nation of Israel today, it was listed that 2%, or about 180,000, are Christians. Now, out of that, 90% of the 2% were all of the, the big apostate religions. 90% of the 2% is Roman Catholicism and Greek Orthodox, which they're in the same group. I had the ability... The opportunity, I should say, back in the year about 2002 to hear a Baptist preacher from Israel preach in a little church in Fort Worth, Texas. And he had a small congregation. They were meeting in a small room. And they had all of these Jews that were coming out of Russia that were flocking to Israel and his church was just growing by leaps and bounds. And they were meeting in this little room and they had to put speakers outside and set all these chairs up in the parking lot. And they were trying to get money to buy some land to build. And, and uh, after he was through, I asked him, I said, how many congregations do you know in Israel that believe in the doctrines of grace? And he and he said two. And I said, two that you know of. He said, no, there's only two. I know all the churches in Israel. There's only two. Two little congregations that believe in the doctrines of grace in all of Israel. And that was about 20 years ago. But if you look at the, the numbers, they haven't changed much. So to this day, they are still blinded. And we'll see as we get later in chapter 11, it talks about until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We still live in that time right now. We still live in that night, in that day. So does it not cause your heart to rejoice what you've been saved from? You've been saved from blindness and not being able to hear and understand the one thing necessary for your soul. According as it is written, those are grave words that God has given them the spirit of slumber. But believer, this is my last point. You have a feast before you. Israel had a feast before them. In verse 9, 9 and 10, And David said, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. The things that were meant to be a table spread in the wilderness for Israel became a curse 
This is a direct quote from Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, there are prophecies about Jesus Christ on the cross that were written before it ever happened. You read this in verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Direct prophecy about what would occur on the cross. And this is curses that are pronounced upon those that reject Jesus Christ. Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold on them. Let their habitation be desolate, and none dwell in their tents. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. That's dark, isn't it? That's what you've been saved from. Isn't it so sad that we can take the things that are meant to be a feast and a table for us and turn them into a curse? All of the religious things that they were given, which were meant to point them to Christ, they turned it into a works religion. It became a curse. Do you think that's any different today? It's not. Even today, there are many who have turned baptism into a ritual. We turn things into rituals. They have turned the table of communion into a ritual. They've turned, even in the best churches, we are prone. We can be prone to turning things into ritual. And to take the thing, these things are meant to feed us, to encourage us, to quicken us. But we are so depraved that we can take the best of things and turn it into a works religion. And that's what happened to Israel. They were cursed. Their blessings became curses. And the warning is there for you, believer. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. You have a feast always before you. You go ahead and read right there what it says in the parable of the sower where we just were in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes for you see and your ears for they hear. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places are yours in Christ. You are connected to Christ by this spiritual union called faith, whereby joy and love and strength is always available to you. You have a feast spread before you. When Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, did they ever lack anything? They had manna from heaven. You are in the wilderness now of your life and you have manna from heaven. Jesus Christ, to feed your soul. You have a table spread for you in the wilderness of grace and mercy and truth in Christ. You are reserved by God in mercy and grace, being given the ability to see, hear, and understand truth so that your faith can feast on the table in the wilderness 
Are you feasting on that table? I was reading that post from Brianna and Brandon Guy. I'm going to read it to you. I am, this is the mother writing this about this little three, four-year-old boy with cancer. And the reason I read this is, what are you going to do when you're in this situation? This doctrine of Romans chapter 11 is the rock under your feet that will help you when this happens. Of understanding who God is. The mercy of God. The salvation of God. She says, I'm on the emotional struggle bus right now. Lord, I don't understand why Braden has cancer. I don't understand why he has to go through all of this pain and suffering and treatment to hopefully save his life. But his whole future could be affected by long-term side effects, which will also be hard to deal with. I wish I could, I wish I could take it all away and free him from these chains. We love him so much that we never knew how much we needed him to complete our family. Sometimes I feel guilty for having him because if I could have prevented all of this pain and suffering, wouldn't that have been better? But then we would never have gotten to know him and his beautiful personality. He's the sweetest and funniest little boy. He is so strong and brave. He is resilient. I'm so proud of him for all he's accomplished. He has endured so much more than I probably ever could have. Even since he got diagnosed, I can barely look at pictures of him before his diagnosis. I saw the pictures out there. Fat, plump little boy. And now he's emaciated. He doesn't deserve this. He has been the happiest little boy and has barely begun living his life. I know God has a plan for us. I know there is a reason we're enduring this storm. That's faith. That's faith. And that's why we come here. And that's why we go through these hard doctrines of election and salvation. This is the things that's going to feed your soul, that you can be grounded on the rock, so that when these storms come, you are not shaken. Are you hearing this truth for the first time today? Is the Holy Spirit calling you out of this world to a life of faith and obedience? If He is, I encourage you, come and dine. Come and dine. Belly up to the buffet. Because there is a feast that Christ has provided for us through His own body and His own blood. And it's the only hope we have in this world. So what are you going to do when the storms of life come? Well, the promise is that you will never be cast away. You've got to remember there's going to be times you're going to be shaken. But you've got to go back to the truth. You've got to remember that you are a remnant according to the election of grace, that you are reserved and you are preserved, and that you have a feast before you to feed your soul on so that you can endure the storms of life. May God bless His Word.